Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So today, there's a lot of things I'm going to touch on. Now, I have a list of things. You know, I have my pages of outrages, as I call them. Uh, I'm talking about one of the things I saw is there's a debate raging now as it comes to uh, what exactly is violence. This is something we're, we're trying to determine now. We, we can't seem to find our way. Like, we can't find our way on, on many things that used to be very, very clear to all of us. Now, the most recent one uh, is when people engage in protest is the, the destruction of property, breaking of windows, setting things on fire, toppling over statues, overturning cars, uh, looting. Uh, is, all, is all of that violence or is that simply expression? Well, this is a debate that's starting to rage now. Now, I can tell you it's not raging in conservative circles because conservative people seem to have a little more common sense in their heads and when we see something we could oh, look at that what is that that is a tree are you sure that's a tree are are you positive maybe it's a it's a bench no it's a tree it's uh it's got a trunk it's got roots it's got branches and leaves it's a tree we seem to be pretty clear on what things are when we look at them well when you see people protesting when i hear about a protest no matter what the topic is uh the first thing that i think is this is part of what is built into our American system as a way to uh, have our voices be heard. It is genuine, it is legitimate, and it is appropriate to protest when we don't like something or we want to see change in something. I think that's absolutely uh, a good thing. So I see a protest and I'll turn it on and even if I don't agree with the topic, I will watch and I will listen to what the people have to say and I'll say, you know, they're, they're making a case for, for their belief or for what they want changed or, or, or whatever. And like, like I said, it doesn't matter if I agree with them or not. I say, okay, that's a legitimate thing they're doing, right? That's a good thing. We're watching people um, use their, their constitutional rights to do the right thing. But recently, we've seen our friends on the left who seem to have a really hard time with um, seeing something and and identifying what it is. And that comes in, in the range of many things these days. Uh, crime. They can't tell you that that crime and criminals are criminals and it's crime. It's a different thing. It's uh, people who have just been held down and now they are just expressing themselves by stealing. Um, they're expressing themselves because they can't become, I, I don't know, a major manager in Microsoft. So instead they have to go steal things out of stores, shoplift, whatever. So they do have a hard time identifying when they see something right in front of their face. And let me say further, I don't think they really do. I don't think they really do. I think our friends on the left see things just as clearly as people on the right. The difference is they believe their belief system tells them that just because a tree is a tree, a criminal is a criminal, crime is crime, that if they don't want it to be that, they simply have to think about it differently, and it won't be. And that's where I think they go wrong, as opposed to making an argument 
for what they believe, making a sound argument with facts about why they think uh, people commit crime, as opposed to saying it's not actually crime that they're committing, when we can all see it clearly is crime. Right, so that and that, that's what I think the problem is. They and they they can, you never get a straight answer from them on these things because they know that if they gave a straight answer or if they engaged in actual um, debate based on fact, they would lose their point of view. They would lose the argument because their point of view is usually skewered in some way uh, for some outcome that they're looking for, and the facts be damned. Now I hate to say that. Um, I will also say people on the right lie. They lie. Okay, so there you go. So those in your basement, in your underwear, taking notes. Uh, uh, my point here is that when we look at things, the best thing we could do as, as a nation, as American citizens, is if we have an honest debate about something, let's have the debate. Let's talk about things with facts. And if I was to say, okay, um, and, I, and I hate using the abortion debate. Uh, you know, it's been it's been beaten terribly and, and it's causing so much trouble. But what I say all along is I understand a woman has a right to her body and her bodily bodily autonomy. Of course I do. I have a wife and I have a daughter. I have, I have nieces, right? They have a right to their body and to make decisions about their body. The only thing I've ever brought up in trying to have a clear argument is I'm not obfuscating the fact that women have a right to their bodies and what they what happens to their bodies. But the reality is, what about the baby? See, we never include that in the argument because if my friends on the left who are pro-abortion, um, if they had to include the baby, then I think they feel they would lose the argument. So therefore, what do they do? Instead of saying it's a baby, it's not a baby, it's a lump of cells. They change the perception of what it is that they want to argue about so that they can continue to argue because if they had to continue to argue on facts, they would probably lose. When my point of view is, yes, I, I think you can have legitimate beliefs that you think abortion should be legal. I don't agree with that, but I think you can. people can have uh, legitimate reasons to think it should be legal. Make that case in the argument, right? Don't, don't make up other things and people are trying to control your body and people are trying, nobody's trying to control anybody's body. People are worried about the babies. Right? That's the essence of the argument, and we can't seem to have that. And that process is repeated over and over and over again. Uh, if people don't want to talk about the facts, they obfuscate. Right? So the newest one now we see is this argument about destroying property. Is destroying property, whether it's in a, uh, during a protest or any other time, is destroying property, is that violence or is that simply expression? Well, I guess if I walked up to a window of a store and I said, the man that owns this store, or the woman that owns this store, as the case may be, uh, this person uh, has sold me shoddy goods. Uh, I've complained about it. They refused to make good on the sale. They purposely and knowingly sold me a TV that wouldn't work. And I spent a lot of money on this TV, and I trusted this store to sell me stuff. The, the salesperson told me it was a good TV, and turns out it's a broken TV. It's no good. And I went back and I made my complaint, like you should, right? Uh, I would like the thing repaired, or I would like a new one, because I paid for a new one, not for one that was broken. And the owner tells me, basically, hey, too bad. Once I sold it to you, I could care less. Go pound salt and leave. 
Well, now today, after repeated letters, after asking nicely, after trying to engage the owner of the store about this bad TV, I am frustrated to the the end of my uh, ability to deal with this any further, and therefore, I am going to smash this window in this store because I want the owner to feel what it's like to have to have uh, an expense that he didn't expect, to have to fix his store, uh, to have to create uh, other other hassles for him because he didn't do the right thing. And therefore, that's why I'm breaking this window. Now, that's a silly example, I know, but my point being, uh, that's one thing. Um, I still, it's not right to break the glass. It's not right to smash the window. But if that's what we saw in our protest, you could see, well, there's no, there's no outward look of, of violence. I'm telling you what I'm going to do, and then I hit it with a hammer and the glass breaks, and I say, now he has to pay for a new window, and he will understand what it's like uh, to feel like he's, uh, he's been done wrong and nothing he can do about it. And then I walk away. So that, let's keep that example in mind. You know, is that violence? Okay. As opposed to um, a group of people are, are upset about something going on in town, whatever it might be. They're angry. Uh, they don't like something that a new law, a new a new response, a response of the emergency medical technicians or something, whatever. And they amass in a group, and they're coming down the street, and they're chanting. You know that uh, they don't like this. You know, the, you have to change the way the fire department works. Change the fire department. It's not fair. Whatever response time is no good. Whatever, whatever the argument is, and then somebody says, "You know what? They're not listening." So here's how we'll make them listen. Let's smash all these windows and set these stores on fire. Then they'll have to listen to us. And they begin to smash windows, uh, throw Molotov cocktails in the window, and burn the businesses down. And their point being, hey, you wouldn't listen to us when we spoke, so we're, we're acting in a more aggressive manner so that you'll have to address our concern. Now, that is all very anesthetic, um, anesthetically presented, um, clean discussion. Is the first example when I stood and explained my point of view, had a purpose, and then smacked the window, broke the glass, and then walked away? Is that violence? How about example number two? A group of people angrily smashing glass, throwing uh, Molotovs, burning the, uh, an entire city block down. Uh, is that violence? Well, I think we have to understand uh, is it crime? Yes, it is crime. So that's the first definition. It is crime either way, whether I'm calmly explaining uh, my situation. I have a point of view, and I don't like what this business owner did to me, and therefore uh, I'm going to cause them a problem, and I smack the glass with a hammer and break it. Well, first of all, when you look at that under most of the jurisdictions in our country, um, I can walk around with a hammer if I intend to go do some work that requires a hammer, like nailing a shelf to a, to a wall or, or putting some boards together. Perfectly legal to have that hammer. But if I walk around with that hammer and I use it to purposely break someone's glass, to damage their property, that is criminal mischief. And now I am possession of a weapon, right? The weapon being the hammer to uh, smash the glass. So that's, that's against our laws. We, we don't allow people to do that. Similarly, and this is where the distinctions of the law come in, and people sometimes get very confused with that. If I have a pencil, a pencil is a, 
very helpful piece of equipment, isn't it? You can write things down, you can erase things, you can uh, you can take notations. A pencil is very, very helpful. Pencil is a, what, six, seven, eight inch long piece of wood with uh, graphite in it and a sharp into a pointy edge so you can make a nice writing, you could see the letters. But then say I get into an argument with, uh, with somebody because I don't like the fact that they sold me a shoddy TV and I pick up a pencil and I stab them in the head with it and they die, right? Now I've committed murder and I've done it with a weapon and that weapon is the pencil because that was the implement used to cause the the death right to you to stabbing so it, it, it is simply a pencil unless I use it as a weapon so that anything can be a weapon if it's used in violence so to get back to our premise is this this angry protesting we see is it violence when you burn and steal and, and loot and destroy property? And I'm going to say, it is violence. I can look at it clearly and say, gee, that's violent behavior. What if there was somebody in that store and the glass cut them or, or, or whatever? What if you threw a firebomb in there and there was a, a young person in the back working, stocking shells, and they died in the fire? It's violence. It's very clear that it's violence. The argument, therefore, should come down to what is the legitimate um, actions of protest? Well, stopping traffic, right? Do you, we see people stop traffic now. They block traffic. And the people that are trying to go to work, go to home, go to the hospital because they're having a heart attack, uh, they may have absolutely nothing to do with the people who are protesting or angry about. But they have to suffer the consequences of the group that is protesting. That is inappropriate. That should not be allowed to take place. You can protest. You have every right to protest. Uh, but you, your rights end where mine begin when it comes to that. So if I'm trying to get to work and you're blocking me, um, that's inappropriate behavior. And you should be moved out of the street. You, you can make your protest, but you can't, can't cause a problem for me. Right? That's not right. So this is where we're, we've, we've lost sight of many things in our country where we, we can't we can't argue earnestly. We can't argue, argue honestly. We have to hide things and twist things. And I just thought that was interesting that this, this is now a new thing for our friends on the left who see this violent mob activity of, of, uh, of rioting and smashing and burning. And they're trying to come up with a, a, a different set of understandings of what it really means, that it's not violence, it's expression. And therefore, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't react to it as though it's violence, because it's not, it's just expression. Uh, well, I, I disagree, and I'm gonna tell you, it's violence when you have people throwing Molotov cocktails and burning things and smashing, destroying cars and vehicles and property. That is violence, and they should be held to account for their violence. Protest, protest all you want. Here's a spot where you can go, where you won't block traffic, you won't block ambulances, you won't cause a problem, and your voice can still be heard. That's what I think, that's pretty good. Um, and that was one of the first things that came up in my pages of outrages today. So another thing, let's get off of that topic for a minute. I want to talk about something, I don't know, maybe a little more inspiring and less intellectual. There's a, a person in our country that um, I'm going to talk about in a minute. I've talked about him before, not so much about him as an individual human being, but him as a representation of some things. See, I'm keeping you in suspense here, aren't I? 
And the reason I've talked about this person is because he occupies a place in our society that has, has many people interested in him, that have many people who dislike him, who, many people who envy him, um, many people who look up to him. And when you're in that kind of a position, what you do can send lots of messages. It can be teaching moments. It can be moments that uh, people can be inspired by or, or upset by. And of course, the person I'm speaking to is none other than quarterback Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady, let me be full disclosure here. Uh, as a New York Giants football fan my entire life, um, Tom Brady was always the the fly in the ointment when he was with New, New England. Uh, he was the guy that, uh, you know, was so good that he just, he just he could come back from 35 to nothing and win the game, and he did it all the time. And as a, as a rival of his, you knew that he could do that to you at any moment. And, and, you know, the Giants would get knocked out repeatedly of the playoffs, or they'd get knocked out repeatedly from uh, other things, and, and not Brady, but Brady kept on going. And therefore, because he was a rival on a rival team, um, I was annoyed by his ability to be so good. As time went by, though, and I saw that really the Tom, Tom Brady persona uh, as an athlete, as an athlete, really was transformed by his, by his ability to, to maintain that super-duper high level of performance year after year after year, game after game after game. And, and that was exemplified by, you know, the seven Super Bowl rings he has. And I think he's been to, to nine Super Bowls, uh, but he has seven rings, maybe ten Super Bowls he's been to. And at some point before he left New England, even though he was a rival, I had to rethink my position on Tom Brady and say to myself, you know what? This guy is a clear example of excellence at what he does. And for me personally, uh, anybody who is excellent at what they do uh, is thrilling for me to observe, to watch, to learn about, to learn from, right? And then slowly but surely, even though you know Brady was always the nemesis of the Giants and, and it would be the, the stumbling block for us sometimes, I had to appreciate how fantastically great the guy was. Now, it probably helps that in two of the Super Bowls the Giants have won in the modern era have been against New England and uh, Brady, and uh, we beat them twice, okay? So I think that's, uh, that probably helps. I'm not going to say it didn't, but I think it certainly does help uh, when that is the case that, um, you know, we could beat him a couple of times. It, I guess, it, uh, for lack of a better word, it assuaged my angry feelings. As time has gone on, though, since then, we've seen... Tom Brady, who a very, uh, apparently a very decent guy, has done good things over the course of his career. You don't see him in, in these, these great scandals and, and all that kind of stuff. He's a lot like uh, Derek Jeter. Now, I'm not a super-duper baseball guy, but Derek Jeter was a great player. He was a, an example of excellence in what he did, and he was a good guy. He didn't get in a lot of trouble. He didn't hear about scandals with the guy. So when I see, as I see Brady, and, and, he's, and he develops into this, this once-in-a-lifetime player, and again, it's not about him as the individual, though I think he probably is a decent guy because you don't have scandal, you don't have all these problems. 
the fact that he developed into this amazing athlete, a once-in-a-lifetime person that you're going to see that has seven Super Bowl rings, uh, who's been there 10 times, you're you're seeing something that you're probably not going to see maybe for another 20 years, 50 years, or 100 years, or maybe never. You know, are you, is Patrick Mahomes going to win eight Super Bowls? He might. He's pretty talented. I like that kid too. But you know, um, when I when I look at Brady and I and I saw him transform into the goat, the greatest of all time, was pretty clear to me when he left and he went to a different team. Uh, when he went to the Buccaneers, and at the Buccaneers he turned their program around and they went to the Super Bowl and the guy won a Super Bowl with another team. I mean, that's kind of following the the Peyton Manning example, who's another one who is just absolutely um, amazing to to watch, even though Peyton has only won two. He was amazingly talented. Uh, so but when I see when I see Brady to this day as the GOAT, and regardless of how he does at the very end of his career, first of all, he's got he's every time he throws the ball, he sets another record. Now that's because he's 45 years old and he's still playing. He's still in physically good shape, good enough shape to play and take a hit from these powerful young men that are trying to take his head off every time. And that speaks to his work ethic, his workout ethic, his dedication to his career. All these things are positive. And that is why over time, um, I have turned around and said, hey, um, I've learned to appreciate the greatness of what the man represents. But what I'm seeing now is, is something that happens a lot Uh, especially in our country. We build people up. We build them up to superstar status. And once they achieve that superstar status and they they start to, you know, live in in that bubble, um, now now we want to take them down. We want to take them down. We want to take them down. And we see that happening now with Brady. Uh, People are laughing at his most recent performance. Uh, Thank God we have a Super Bowl without Tom Brady. Now, there's something to that. You don't want to see the same team every single year. You'd like to see it spread around. But if he earns it, well, then you're watching something amazing. You're watching this guy at 45 years old still go to Super Bowls. That is something you're going to be telling your grandchildren about that they may never see, right? And that is one of the reasons I see it as inspiring because I may not be a national football player. Uh, I may not be in seven Super Bowls. But in my world, I take that example and I say, if I work really hard, if I try really hard, if I dedicate myself to what I'm trying to do, I can probably succeed and be really, really good. Can I be the goat in my field? I don't know if I could be the goat, but I can aim for it, can I? I can aim high. I can aim high. And that's what Brady does. That's what, he's, that's what I see him in, in my eyes, why he has such great value. Because he does shoot for high goals. He does dedicate himself and he does work hard. He follows through. He walks the walk and talks the talk. So I, I just saw that in, in our recent um, in our recent season of football here in America is that you see how people are turning on him now uh, because uh, the goat, enough with the goat, enough with the greatest. And I understand that, but I think people should also pay attention and say, look what we have in front of us. Because once he goes off the field, he becomes a memory. Now, he might have a, a, a broadcasting career, but the actions, the, the greatness of his skills and abilities on the field will never be seen again. That's like the moment that um, George Bush, the elder, took the oath of office and Ronald Reagan stepped off the stage. 
Ronald Reagan was one of the greatest presidents this country has ever had. And I don't care what anybody says. They, they say he wasn't because they didn't like his policies, not that he wasn't great. He was one of the greatest presidents that we have ever seen. He was uh, an amazing individual as a president. But the minute George Bush the Elder took the oath and became the president, Ronald Reagan stepped off the stage. And you will never see him again as the president of the United States. He will be a, a former but he will never be the president again. And that's, that's the same thing that we have here. You know, the idea, and I'm trying to wind this idea around, is that, and maybe on a more personal level, so that we can all maybe grasp my idea a little bit, because sometimes, you know, I know I can go round and round with ideas, and I, I try and drag you along with me, but uh, sometimes uh, I don't know if I always express myself uh, clearly, so I try and make, give more examples. You know, one of the things that I loved doing with my, my children uh, as they were growing up, they got to be a certain age when they would go to bed and I would help out because, you know, my wife, Miss Kathy, worked all day. She took care of the kids. She ran them wherever they had to go. And, uh, you know, she made the dinner. Everybody's eating. And then I would want to do something to help out. Let me let me take the burden of the kids off your hands for a while because I was just out, you know, solving crime. I, my day was easy compared to hers. So after dinner, uh, for all my kids, all four of them, we would go out. Uh, to the porch and I had a chimney and we'd have a chimney maybe we would do marshmallows or s'mores and we would do that for an hour or so then they would come in they would get cleaned up and ready for bed and at some point I would go in and read them a story right we'd read a storybook or whatever and what developed over the years was that for my older boys uh, I told them Uncle David stories we called them um Uncle David was a character that I made up in my head, uh, and Uncle David would, would do all kinds of things in these stories. So you got a picture, you're laying there, you're cuddled up with your little kid, and I'm telling him an Uncle David story. Now, Uncle David, uh, you know, things like Uncle David would go, uh, he would go camping, and he would want to go fishing, and he would throw the hook, and it would catch on the back of his shirt, and when he throw it, his shirt would come flying off, you know, silly stuff like that. And of course, the kids would giggle and laugh, and, but over the years, every single night telling those stories, you develop a whole wealth of these Uncle David stories, and the kids remember them. They joke about them. They make references to them. As, as the next group of kids came along, um, I think Joe, Alex, and Marisa all got Uncle David stories. When it came to our youngest, Jack, um, when it came to Jack, Jack was, uh, he was enthralled with the fact that, you know, even though he was little, that I was a detective and I was into the police world and this and that. So I started to tell what we called Uncle, uh, Uncle, Uncle David. Uncle David was the older kid. I was to tell uh, Detective Jack stories. And this is where I created a character of Detective Jack, who was an eight-year-old boy uh, who was very smart, and he would help the police solve crimes. And of course, it was modeled after Jack, and he, so he loved the stories. Uh, the long and, and, and pointed part I'm trying to make here was that every single night, I did that with those kids as it went from Joey and then he got older where he didn't need stories and then Alex and he didn't need stories and Marisa and she didn't need stories and then even Jack got to a point when Jack didn't need stories anymore and there was a moment there was a time there was a night that I told the last story there was a night that we didn't cuddle up and read a book and tell stories anymore and the thing was I didn't know it was coming I didn't know that last night that I told that story, that that would be the last night we would do it. And that's what I'm saying that I see in Brady and in Reagan and all these things. And whatever's in your life that's amazing is to appreciate 
the greatness we have in our lives, whether that's the love of someone you have in your family, whether that's something you like to do, because we never know what tomorrow holds, and you never know that that was the last time you got to do it. So that's a little insightful perspective from Lieutenant Joe to you. So we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice and more things to think about. Cold and flu season is here. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to minimize airborne viral threats? Well, now there is, and it's a pulvinone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray called Cofix RX. You might even say it's just what the doctor ordered. To reduce your chance of getting hurt, you wear a safety belt when you're driving. To limit sun damage, you wear sunscreen on the beach. Cofix RX is just like that. It's an additional layer of protection. It's sold by thousands of pharmacists and medical doctors nationwide. It's made right here in the USA. Again, it's a pulvinone iodine-based antiviral nasal spray. You've heard them talk about it here on the Outloud Network over and over again. Check out CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com for a retailer near you or use coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off at CofixRx.com. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. right then. Welcome back from that little bit of a break. I always wonder what people do on the breaks. What do you do? Do you jump up? uh, Do you run to the bathroom? Do you jump up and go get a coffee? You get an adult beverage? Are you stuck in traffic when you're listening to Lieutenant Joe? Because I know we got the the afternoon session together here, which I really like because whatever's percolating uh, in news, whatever, uh, has a tendency to pop up by the time we get together. And I like to, uh, to talk about these things. So, 
I appreciate you spending time with me again. When you let me, when you let me tell my stories, um, as I try and weave these things together. So in our first segment there, trying to weave all those different thoughts together with personal stories and, and, and thoughts, whatever. I do appreciate that, that you allow me to do that. So here's some things that I think are interesting. So now we see um, Speaker of the House McCarthy, GOP Republican. And we, we all had some concerns about him being the speaker, didn't we? I mean, those of us on the right. You know, is he going to be a... A strong speaker? Is he going to be a speaker like Jim Jordan would be a speaker? Is he going to be a speaker uh, in the in the uh, the way that we we've had GOP speakers in the past? Uh, they talk a good game, but then they always back up. They always give in. They always uh, basically uh, go along to get along. They don't act like our friends on the left, who when they're in power, man, they they wield power. There's a lot we can learn from them. They wield power um, for for their agenda. They, they don't worry about reaching across the aisle. They talk a lot about it. Let's reach across the aisle. We, we'll work with anyone as long as you, and here's the unwritten part or the unsaid part, as long as you do what we want. And if you don't, we'll cut you out. We'll do whatever. So we've seen where uh, McCarthy, what he said he was going to do, he was going to take Swalwell, uh, you know, the guy who likes spies, Chinese spies, and he sleeps with them, and uh, but he doesn't tell her anything that's important. Right? There's no reason she'd be with him. He's just a devastatingly handsome man she wanted to have sex with. Uh, and the other one, Schiff, Adam Schiff, who I got to tell you, um, after what we saw him do in the in the Trump Russia hoax, where he came out and how many times, how many different times did he come on the news and different shows and say, "I have absolute proof in my possession that Trump colluded with the Russians." Now the fact that when it all finally came out that that was a hoax, that all of that was a lie, that that was a Clinton uh, group uh, made up set of nonsense to go after Trump to attack him in the election. The fact that any of those people still have any credibility whatsoever is shocking. Now, as far as them being elected, uh, I think the reality there is that if the people of his district are stupid enough to elect someone, uh, who has been proven to be a complete liar, uh, as he was, that there was no evidence. Where's his evidence? He still hasn't brought it forward. There is no evidence because he didn't have it. He was just outright lying. Right? And but no, So if the people in his district say, we don't care that he lied. We like what he was doing. We think it was good to cheat. And that that, that speaks to another, another whole big problem we have in our country where uh, hypocrisy is no longer frowned on. Hypocrisy is is uh, is applauded if you can help you get away with what you want to do, right? And then it's fantastic, uh, which is a change in our in our system as as a country and our beliefs. Not all of us, but for many of us, we we see that that's true. So we got this this shift guy, and he gets reelected. Okay, fine, he's reelected. Swalwell, he's reelected. The people of his district want them. That's fine. They get to have that vote. That's why we vote, right? So that's good. I don't have a problem with that. I was glad McCarthy, though, showed showed a little uh, a little chutzpah, and he went in and said uh, he's throwing them off the intelligence committee. You're liars. You're cheaters. You're, you've been proven wrong. Uh, we can't trust you, uh, and therefore you're out, out of the position. Um, now, there was a part of me that was happy to see that because there was a little humiliation to that, and the fact that they lied, there should be some penalty for lying, when you lie like that, when it affects the entire country, okay? The guy wants to lie about his golf game, I could care less. But a liar is a liar, remember that too. If somebody lies about one thing, they'll lie about another. So, uh, I, but I could care less if he lies about his golf game, I could care less if he lies about how many, uh, how many times he's, uh, he's met celebrities, who cares? 
when he says that the president of the United States colluded with the Russian government to hurt our country and we should remove that person from the presidency, that's a very serious thing that affects me and you and everyone. And therefore, that holds a little more weight. And I would have hoped that people would have seen that and said, geez, you know, uh, I could see uh, trying to do all you can politically to remove your opponent, to fight your opponent with the truth. If your opponent really was a dirtbag or a scumbag or really did do the kind of things that they said and they brought it out and they had evidence, that would, that would be the right thing to do, no matter what side of the aisle it happened on. Uh, but this guy lied. He outright lied. This other guy apparently was sleeping with a Chinese spy. Now, the Chinese don't do anything by accident. They don't take somebody and send them over here and allow them to have a, a relationship with an American uh, congressperson for years, uh, foot the bill for it, because they're just nice people in China, and they want, you know, Fang Fang to go have a nice life in, in California. No, they sent her here for a reason, and she connected with him. Um, that, that, again, that should be enough for the people in his district to say, Dude, you got abused and abused by a spy. Uh, we can't have you in our government. You can endanger us as well. But again, they can vote for whoever they want, right? Uh, this, who's this guy in, in, uh, in New York? Um, he's a Republican, and he apparently he lied about everything. That's, um, if that's what the people in New York want to put up with, then I say, let them put up with it. Um, I wouldn't trust the guy as far as I could throw him. But that's, it doesn't matter on either side of the aisle. A liar's a liar. If you vote for him, you vote for him. Um, but the thing is that McCarthy seemed to have some guts and he's going to throw them off. So now, as it can be, uh, the leadership of the, of the opposing party that's not in power uh, is allowed to nominate people for different committees. You know, we want these people on the committee. And that's, you know, that's, that's a pretty good system because then both sides are represented on the important, uh, the important committees that we have in our government that do the things we need government to do. Intelligence is one of them. The Intelligence Committee, very, very important, especially in our modern world. So what does um, Hakeem Jeffries do, the new leader of the Democrat Party? Of course, he turns around and says, oh, I nominated Schiff and Swalwell to go back on the, uh, on the Intelligence Committee, and they should go there because there are picks. Well, I, I think I, I railed on about this a little bit the other day. Nancy Pelosi, uh, when they were doing the, uh, the, the fake January 6th committee thing, when they were doing that... Um, she, she denied to have people on there that the Republicans put up for the people who would have really sought the truth and would have subpoenaed the right people and would have gotten the right testimony. She didn't want them on there. That was a, uh, that was a uh, game. That was a, uh, a nonsense thing. The only Republicans they allowed on there were ones that were anti-Trump, and that was the purpose, to go after Trump. It wasn't about finding the truth. It was about going after Trump any way they could, even if they had to make it up. Just like they made it up with the Russian collusion, and they made it up about the phone call, uh, you know, all these, all this hypocrisy right in front of us, and now they're going to do it again. So Hakeem Jeffries comes out and says, "I nominate these two for that committee, and I should be allowed to have who I want on there." And I said, "This is going to be a test for McCarthy. Is he going to is he going to bend over and give in to go along and say, or is he going to wield power like he should?" And stand up and say, I don't care who you nominate, you're not getting those two guys on the committee. They are proven frauds and liars, and they're, they're not appropriate for the Intelligence Committee. Maybe they could be on the, uh, uh, I don't know, the TOFU Committee. Or maybe they could be on the committee to uh, discover, to, uh, check out uh, uh, cattle flatulence. Maybe they could be on that committee, but they're not going to be on the Intelligence Committee. And I really was concerned that he wasn't going to do the right thing, but apparently he has. 
he has done the right thing. And uh, these these two clowns, because they are clowns, it's simple as that. They're they're not um, statesmen. They are not people who represent America, no matter what side of the aisle they're on. That should be the bottom line for anybody there. They represent all of us. What's in the good of the nation is how you should be doing things. They certainly don't do that. And uh, because they don't do that, that's a problem. And they shouldn't be there. So I'm glad. It looks like he's doing the right thing. The next one that's, uh, that he also said he was going to throw off the, off the committee um, was uh, this Elon Omar, uh, this uh, congressperson from, uh, from the Midwest. And she said a lot of very anti-Semitic things. Now, she can have a different opinions about the state of Israel. She can talk about what the government does, whether she likes it or not, whether she believes it or not. But anti-Semitic things... Are, are not only painful and ugly, but they, they reveal a point of view that is not productive and not good for that particular committee that she was on. Uh, so he says he's going to throw her off of there. And what's Hakeem Jeffries going to do? Of course, he's going to come back and he says, I'm going to have her reappointed to that committee. Uh, well, here's, the, here's where the Republicans are going to either do the right thing, wield power appropriately, and run things, or they're going to back down and, and be what they should always, have always been and what we all fear they're going to be. Um, Elon Omar, uh, the way they do it is that it's not just McCarthy who says you're not on it, but then there has to be a vote. Uh, and you got there's a vote on whether the person should be on there or not. And what I heard is some representatives from the Democratic side saying, well, we believe there, there are enough Republicans who are going to join us uh, in ensuring that Elon Omar stays on um, the committee that she's on, the Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, we think uh, we, we think she belongs there, and uh, we think enough. Repu- and so far, two Republicans have come out and said, "Well, I don't think she should be removed. I, I would let her stay there." This is the weakness. This is the weakness that the Republicans uh, display when they finally have power, uh, and this is what everyone fears. Everyone on the right and the conservative side fears that this is what's going to happen once again. So here McCarthy is saying, no, she's off, and they're going to have a vote, and oh, it's enough Republicans. They don't want to seem like they're going against this woman. Oh, they don't want to seem like they're going against her. For all. And forget, forget all that crap. Nobody's going against her because of her race. Nobody's going against her because she's a woman. Nobody cares. It's her policy and her mouth and her thoughts that are the problem. She's anti-Semitic, right? She's anti-American. She doesn't belong on that committee. Again, she could be on the Tofu Committee. She could be on the Toe Jam Committee for, for all or anybody cares. But she can't be on a committee that's that important. And the Republicans are going to have to vote. And we're going to see if they vote to let her stay on. If they do vote to let her stay on, that really means two things. One, it'll be a personal victory for her because I'm sure she doesn't want to be humiliated, thrown off the committee, uh, feel that, that she's been disenfranchised from, from whatever thing she wants to be on. Uh, It'll be personally empowering for her. It will also be empowering for the Democratic Party to realize, oh, a little bit of pressure, and we can bend and twist these Republicans like we always have, because they don't want to look bad. They don't want to seem like they're bad. Let's call them a couple of names, and they will bend right over, right? With the Democrats, do they care what name you call them? Do they care what you say about them? Do they care at all? about anything other than doing what they want and, if, and, and, and pushing their agenda forward? No, they don't. They are someone we can learn from. We can learn when you have power, wield it for your agenda 
as a group, in unison. And that's how you attain power and maintain power and get to do the things that the American people sent you there to do. So this is going to be interesting to see how McCarthy handles this one and see how the Republican uh, contingent actually handles things. Let's see what they really do. Now, I'm sitting here and I'm getting agita as I think about this because I'm concerned that they're not going to do the right thing, that they're going to fall right in line with all previous, most previous Republican groups where they give in to go along, to get along. So I, I got I to keep myself uh, calm and I, I got to stay healthy and I do all those right things. And one of the ways I do that, that's right, I take Healthy Cell, the, uh, the immune boost product. Uh, and I mention that here, as I, as I often do, because I take it myself. I use it, and I tell you about it. It's on the network here, and I find it to be very, very good. So when I get, when I get up like this, and I get angry, and I'm starting to get upset, and I'm starting to think things, and I'm yelling and screaming, you know what? My immune system's probably going to go down a little, a couple degrees, because of this, uh, this agita that I'm feeling. I should take my, uh, my immune boost, right, from... Uh, from uh, from our friends here, um, and maybe I won't sleep so good. So maybe I'll take some of the sleeping stuff. My point is, okay, is that uh, it's all good, and you should look into it. It's uh, it's been very good for me, and I, I do like it. All right, now a um, couple other things that I have here. I, I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly which way I want to go here with these, but a, a, an event has come up recently. A a horrible situation uh, in all the horrible situations that are going out there. We saw a student from uh, LSU, Louisiana State University, a uh, young woman uh, who recently uh, was out partying with her friends as, as young people often do, as Lieutenant Joe often goes out with my friends and we party and have a good time. So she's out with her friends and partying and apparently she was very intoxicated, okay? She was very intoxicated and she met a group of guys and uh, these guys, uh, she asked them for a ride home. Uh, it was three guys. And she ended up, uh, by reports of the guys, we don't know. There was no camera. There's no body cam footage. There's just the reports of the guys. Uh, and they said that she was getting along really nice with one of the guys, maybe flirting with the guy, whatever. Uh, and in the course of all this, uh, the guy asked her if she, she would have sex. And according to the guys, she said, yes, she would have sex with the guy. And then she had sex with another one of the guys. Um, and then at some point, they say she got argumentative, she started yelling and screaming, whatever it was, and she wanted to get out of the car. So they let her get out of the car, and a short time later, uh, she, was, she stumbled into traffic, was hit by a car, and tragically killed. So these four young men um, may have done something very bad. Um, maybe, maybe there was consent. What I want to talk about here is what does that mean, consent? We hear that all the time now. That's a, that's a big buzzword. What is consent? Uh, and how do you get consent from someone? So this is one of the things that I have to teach because police officers are called into these kind of events where they have to investigate and, and try and figure out uh, what, you know, what is it. We, in law enforcement, when it comes to a sexual assault charge, uh, we look at a lot of different factors. Uh, one of the things that we look at is, is the case a he said, she said? This is where somebody will say, uh, yeah, we had sex, but he wanted to. Yeah, we had sex, but she wanted to. Uh, so I don't know what they're complaining about now. Now, of course, that, that can cause difficulty because uh, if someone truly was victimized, then 
saying that they 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 gave you consent and you they wanted to have sex with you kind of makes it hard if there was nobody in the room to see it now for those investigators that are out there that are that are very savvy and understand this and i don't want to get graphic here but the reality is um when we do an exam a sexual assault exam uh, there are certain things that the examiner looks for that can be indicative of forced sex over um, consensual sex, even rough consensual sex. Okay, so let's see what I mean. I don't want to get into crazy details here, but isn't that a difference? Do, do people do people have rough sex for fun? They do, all right? They do have rough sex or, or more aggressive kind of sex. And then there's calm and passionate lovemaking, which is totally different. But the reality is when, when it's forced sexual activity, um, there are injuries that people can, be, can, can sustain. They can sustain certain kinds of injuries that a medical professional can identify as being more common in a, um, in a struggle or a more common in a non-consensual uh, set of activities. All right. So th- when we get to he said, she said, uh, that's really hard because like I said, you're not there. We don't have, uh, we don't have microphones and cameras all the time. Uh, so when somebody reports, I was sexually assaulted and they go to the other person, doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl, girl on girl, guy on guy, it doesn't matter. You go to the person, the perpetrator, and you say, Hey, listen, this is the accusation. What do you have to say? And if they say to you, yeah, yeah, we had sex. Absolutely. Um, why? What, what, what is she saying now? What's he saying now? Because we got along great. We you know, talked to my friends. We were all over each other in the bar. We went back to the place and we, we had relations. You know, uh, what's the problem? That is a hard one to deal with because uh, you'll have witnesses that'll say, oh, yeah, these two met in the bar and they were kissing and hugging and petting each other and they went off smiling and happy and they went off voluntarily together and off they went. Um, Next thing you know, somebody's reporting I was assaulted. Now, when it comes to consent, and this is the thing that that everyone has to understand, consent has to be made knowing and voluntarily, right? You have to consent knowingly and voluntarily. You have to consent being of, of mind to be able to do so, right? So this is where the level of intoxication the amount of drugs that are taken, uh, injuries, anything else which would prevent you from thinking clearly and making a clear decision uh, of what you want to do. Because as anybody knows, um, if people are drinking alcohol, people are more pliable. You can certainly convince people to do things uh, sexually and in many other ways that they wouldn't normally do if they were not intoxicated. Same thing with drugs. So that's why in many states, the laws start to change and look at what does consent mean and, and how, how is it given. As strange as it sounds, probably going back 10 years ago, uh, as I was doing this uh, full-time, we had a university uh, on part of our property, and, and there was quite a lot of the uh, We had frat houses and, and all kinds of things going on, and this consent idea would come up. Well, I was told by some of the students that, uh, hey, I even filled out the form. I said, what are you talking about, the form? Lots of colleges came up with sexual conduct forms where both parties would sign off saying, uh, uh, I'm consenting uh, to sexual activity with this other person, uh, and here's the things I agree to do. And then the person would sign it. Everybody signed. Everybody has a copy. Now there's no, there's no arguing uh, about, uh, about what happened and who did what, okay? Now we can even break that down further. 
absent a, a waiver, a sexual uh, consent waiver, uh, the idea of consent. This young lady that was uh, hit by the car and killed, uh, I believe they said her, her blood alcohol was 3.8, right? a, three, a, a 0.38, a 0.38. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting the numbers wrong. 3.8, right? She was three times the legal limit for what we consider intoxication for driving. And I can tell you that in most states, 3.5 is a mandatory trip to the hospital because people die at 3.5 alcohol, blood alcohol level. So she had 3.8 when she was in the hospital after getting hit by the car. So you could extrapolate backwards. See, that's a lawyer word. Extrapolate backwards and figure out two hours ago um, if she had if she had still been drinking. It takes a little while for the alcohol to get in your blood, and it dissipates um, about a rate of one drink per hour, right? So you, that's, you go backwards. So maybe at the time she was in the car having sex with these guys, uh, maybe she was a, a 3.5, okay? So still way, way intoxicated. Based on that, even though, and the attorneys for the guys are all saying, hey, she was walking and talking, and she was answering questions, and she, that doesn't mean... She wasn't intoxicated and could not make a clear decision on uh, engaging in consensual sex, that she could have been plied, she could have just been tired, she could have just went along with it because she couldn't overcome the will. It's three, it's three guys and her, right? Lots of days. Who knows what was said and done? I don't know. Maybe the guys did nothing wrong. The case will, will prove out. I know right now two of them have been charged with uh, sexual assault. And the other two have been uh, charged basically accomplices because they didn't report it or whatever. Uh, and now they're considering increasing the charges on these other guys or whatever. But the bottom line is consent. And then there's layers of consent. So one of the things I say is if, if you consent to have sex, you consent to have uh, sexual intercourse with somebody, um, can you stop once you start? Can you, can you withdraw your consent, in other words? Can you say, uh, hey, we got into it and it got started and I don't want to do it anymore. Stop. The answer is yes. That's called bodily autonomy. Yes, I agreed to sex. Yes, I agreed to take my clothes off. Yes, I agreed we got started. And you know what? Um, I don't want to do it anymore. I want you to stop. Well, you have to stop, right? You don't get to say, hey, man, you consented. I get to finish. And I hard to be so crude about it. But that's the reality. No, that's not true. You don't get to finish just because there was consent. Consent was removed. You were told to stop. You stop, whether you like it or not. Too bad, right? Um, you can consent to one thing. But that doesn't mean you've consented to everything somebody wants to do, right? So they might go in and say, hey, she had consented. She wanted to do this, that, and the other thing. And I, did I do this? And I, No. If somebody can consent to one thing, but not other things. And if they tell you to stop, you are to stop. Not do those other things. So consent is, is not as mysterious as it sounds. It's really very clear. Uh, what, what gets gets foggy, I think, in people's minds is when you're involving this alcohol or drugs and the person may have said yes, the person may have indicated yes, but uh, that doesn't mean they're actually consenting because we all know anyone who's had uh, adult beverages uh, knows that uh, it can change your personality, it can change your perception, it can change your will, right? Do you ever see somebody who's quiet and reserved and you give them a couple of drinks and they're dancing on the table going crazy? Right? Alcohol does that to us because it affects our brain and just like any other drug. So when it comes to the consent, just that these lawyers are saying, hey, the girl was walking and talking and she consent, that doesn't mean she actually gave consent. 
So I want to be crystal clear about that. No means no. Stop means stop. Uh, for anybody, male, female, anybody, stop means stop. Um, and you don't take advantage of someone just because they didn't say no. Because I heard that many times. Uh, well, she didn't say no. She didn't tell me to stop. That's because she was intoxicated. And she couldn't tell you to stop. Maybe she was scared to death at that point, right? Nobody should assault anyone, especially sexually, ever. Uh, and you have to stop when you're told to stop. You're not allowed to do things just because you want to do them. That's too bad, right? So I, I just wanted to mention that because that, that young lady is, unfortunately, she is, she's dead now. She's gone. Um, the other side of that case is, and I was mentioning this to, to Miss Kathy, and she says, okay, even if the girl did consent, uh, if she was that intoxicated and they let her get out of the car, where's their moral responsibility? Where's their moral responsibility to say, hey, listen, let's just get you someplace safe, right? Let's not leave you here on the side of the road. Now, can you imagine, as what they're saying, is she got belligerent, she got angry, she was screaming and hollering. Is there a fear maybe in your heart that, that she's going to say you did something when you didn't because she's angry? I don't know. Where's the moral side of of what should have been done. If she wanted to get out of the car and you know she was that intoxicated, and believe me, at a 3.5, everybody knows you're that intoxicated. That's that's the that's the really... 3.5, you almost die. Right? Most of us get really silly and goofy at, at, at point, uh, 0.10. Uh, when you get to the, to the really high numbers, it's obvious that you're really, really drunk, and that's what it sounded like happened here. What was their moral obligation as human beings to, uh, okay, she wants to get out of the car, leave her at a gas station. Leave her at a place where there's people that can see her. You don't leave her on the road, and then she ends up stumbling in the road. That's not their fault that she stumbled in the road. Um, she wanted to get out. They let her out of the car. Okay. But where where was their, their humanity to say, okay, listen, this girl's she's whacked out now, and she's really, she's really we got to put her someplace where she's not going to get hurt. That would have been the thing to do. And I don't know that they didn't do that, or, or I don't know. That, the whole facts have not come out yet. All right. So consent. Um, is one of the things we're talking about here. And it, it's, it goes with a lot of things. Courage, consent. We talked about a lot today, right? Let's see. We talked about uh, whether or not uh, destroying property is violence. I think there's a lot to think about there. So, yeah, I get the bell ringing when I say something good. Um, we talked about Schiff and uh, Swalwell and the, the strength of the Republicans. We talked about Tom Brady, the GOAT. And now we've talked about consent and what it means to, to give your consent. So I enjoy spending this time with everybody. I'm going to go think about more things now for our next episode together. So remember, until we get together, be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice here on the America Out Loud Radio Network.